Hello and welcome to this Vulnerabilities Exposed by High Interest Rates, a discussion sponsored by PSG Wealth. Uh, the biggest banking failure since the 2008 uh, global financial crisis shook financial markets in March uh, 2023 after a few U.S. banks collapsed and uh, challenges at a third EU bank surfaced. What happened at these banks is not surprising um, given uh, the increasing interest rate uh, environment. Higher rate cycles have a habit of exposing weaknesses in business models and risk management practices, of which Silicon Valley Bank is a good example. My name is Bliwa Gavaza, a business writer with the Business Day and Financial Mail, and I'll be your host for what is said to be, you know, quite a fascinating, informative, and, uh, you know, very intriguing conversation. And joining me for today is Adrian Pask, who is the Chief Investment Officer over at PSG Wealth, who explains some of the market vulnerability which have been exposed uh, by uh, rising interest rates. Adrian, greetings to you today. Hi, Mediwa. Thank you very much for having me and hello to all the listeners. Now, I am particularly, you know, interested uh, in how this discussion is going to develop over time. Certainly been following, you know, all of the developments that happened over SVB, uh, that Silicon Valley Bank and, you know, that particular situation. And it would be great to, you know, to consider all of the things that led up to that situation and some of the lessons that we can learn uh, from something like that. Uh, but to start things off, Adrian, how have um, higher interest interest rates introduced risk to the investment landscape? Yeah, I think essentially what we've seen now, because I mean, if you think back in history, it it always seems to be the case where um, the banks seem to be the ones that's that's always causing the blowups, right? If you think back to to GFC and before that other financial crisis. And and you've got to ask, how come that that is? Why, Why is it always the banks? And if you if you think about this in a very practical terms, so essentially what happens in an interest rate environment where rates are very low and very accommodative, conditions generally are very favorable for new lenders. The banks in themselves are less worried about people's ability to pay back loans. So the requirements that you need to meet in order to get the loan is uh, uh, the hurdles are a lot lower. In that environment, it's easy on the banks because they can also invest a lot easier. Because remember, the, the, the investors who place deposits with them, they need to reinvest that again at a higher rate in order to make money. That's essentially the model. But it's much easier in a low interest rate environment where everything's doing well. And you just need to think about how well the U.S. has really done over the last 10 years in various areas. So, so But what then happens when, when interest rates start to move up? All of those good benefits start to reverse. There's, there's less capital floating around because interest rate expenses are much higher. And I'll mention that something about that just now. Um, but at the same time, the banks are getting nervous because they know everybody's in a tougher spot. Um, they need to think carefully at, in terms of who they extend loans to. Um, so, so that is seeing a reduction as well. And at the same time, asset prices are, are under pressure, which means that the income side is un, under pressure. And the banks are normally, when you see interest rate hikes, are the precursor. Those are the ones that typically tend to to suffer first. Um, so if you see bond yields move a lot higher, 
then you know the banks are under pressure because that's for many of them the income driver on the investment income side. And you also know that more often than not, um, volumes could be under pressure. There are cases where you could adjust for for various expectations. So typically what we saw out of 2008 is, um, although all these things that I've just said are true, you would expect regulation to evolve over time make things better, make sure we don't fall into the same traps and make the same mistakes, which is exactly actually what happened with the the Dodd-Frank Act that came in under uh, Obama. But then also Trump came in and obviously his main agenda was to sort of promote ease of business, less regulation, make things easier for everybody, just grow the economy. Uh, That was the, the true spirit of what he wanted to accomplish. But with that, they rolled back um, many of those regulations that were uh, put in place there to to protect, not thinking that interest rates will go from 0.25 to 5%. And the minute that happened and the regulations were no longer there to add the protection, um, then obviously that introduces risk into the system, into the banking system um, more specifically. But if you think about the economic risk that applies here, so if you had taken out the loan with the bank, um, say it's a million dollars that you took with with one of the U.S. banks and you had a 10-year repayment period, you would essentially pay principal $100,000 a year over that 10 years to cover your principal. The interest cover that, that you need to, to, to pay there was 0.25%. It's $2,500 a year. It's essentially free money. So you can lend quite a lot before you feel extended that you can no longer afford. So not only are you going to take the, the, the million dollars, you probably take more than that. But now when interest rates go up, essentially 20 times from 0.25% to 5%, you sit in a position where your $2,500 that you used to pay for all that cash flow facility is now $50,000 per annum. And now all of a sudden you're in a position where you just can't afford it or there's, you can afford it, but now you can't do other things that you also wanted to do. And ultimately the economy price, pays the price and the risk sits in the banking system and in the economy because ultimately the banking system is what underpins the economic activities, what facilitates the transfer of capital from one area to another. So as soon as you start to increase interest rates, you start to sort of rattle the cage of this whole system. And, and that's why we always say when interest rates move higher, um, especially significant line. It's only a question of time before something breaks. And usually, unless there's significant regulatory change that to protect from the previous cycle, it will sit in the banking system. Um, so it's interesting that we, we saw that play out yet again um, during this period. You know, it certainly does seem as if uh, there is a strong trend that has emerged and that continues to repeat itself. Um, You know, like what you're pointing out to say that, you know, in some of these situations, uh, there tends to be a real testing um, of a lot of your market fundamentals and it's seen in the banking sector. And the fact that, you know, we're seeing something like this so soon, in relative terms, at least so soon after 2008, and all that does point to you know some of those issues and i think you know you've quite you've highlighted quite a bit uh some of the some of the reasons why banks in the u.s have experienced um you know a lot of these issues because it does make sense because the u.s does lead um the markets from you know a lot of point of view but when we then think about it from a systemic point of view or the downstream effects is there uh, a 
risk for South African banks, you know, given the open nature of the South African economy and how integrated local banks are into the international financial system? Yeah, I think that's a very good question because I think people underestimate the the contagion risk that sits in the banking system. Because if we look at the global financial crisis, for example, um, there's a, a, a lot of interbank lending that sits there. So as soon as one bank then picks up a problem, it, it systematically moves into the next, et cetera. Um, and, and that applied into the South African environment to a lesser extent, even glo- going back to global financial crisis, just because our banks were a lot better capitalized. But if you think about the current situation, um, I, I, I would imagine it's, it's unlikely again, because for, for two really good reasons, um, our, our, our yield curve is very steep at the moment. So what we see in the US was creating part of the issue is that interest rates on the short end is, is increasing or is high. And, um, on the, on the long end, it's actually lower. So that means that essentially as, um, as the deposits came in, you have to pay a higher rate than what you can actually get in the market investing on the long end of the curve. And that's essentially compromising the whole banking system model. It won't last forever. Um, but it does put a lot of pressure in and it does raise the, the, the incidence of risk quite significantly. Where in South Africa, it's very easy for banks, even with increasing interest rates, they are still very far away from where our, our longer yields are. Uh, if you look at our bond yields, they're incredibly high still. Um, so banks can still prop, uh, properly reinvest whatever comes in in the form of a deposit. So you don't have any pressure on the asset side. The other, the other thing that the banks have done is they've been, um, in light of all the other issues that we face around load shedding and depressed economic growth for a time now, they have very tight lending conditions already. Um, so there isn't a case where we've built up a client base of people that can't afford. I think obviously as interest rates go up, you will get to a point where some, some, um, uh, banking clients might struggle to, to meet requirements and payments, et cetera. But it's not nearly as severe as what we saw or what we will see in the U.S. just because we haven't had such an open system uh, to the extent that the U.S. had. Um, and then also in terms of the contagion effect in itself, we, we don't have exposure to the areas where um, the banks in the U.S. had, had exposure. So I don't think there's, there's an issue for us to worry about. I think actually our banks are, are very in very good shape, well capitalized. Uh, you know, they've got good discipline around investing in assets, as I've said. Um, so I think they, we, we, we should be okay. No, it sounds uh, it sounds good, you know, to to hear the fact that uh, we should be okay from a South African banking point of view and taking another leaf out of history. It is interesting to note that um, even in the global financial crisis of 2008, it was said that the South African banking system was one of the more robust to have gone through that particular crisis. So, you know, really good to see that uh, the local banking sector is able to, you know, weather some of these storms. Uh, but uh, Adrian, maybe as a quick follow-up to the point around U.S. banks and local banks, we understand that uh, from a banking point of view, there's a lot of regulation and uh, risk management tends to be, you know, the top of mind when you're going from a banking point of view. Uh, but when you are doing risk management, part of it is how you allocate your capital and how the things that you invest in. I think you alluded to the point of you just need to, you know, 
at least have investments that are yielding higher than um, whatever rate of interest you're giving to your depositors. And, um, you know, someone might then, you know, quickly ask to say, in the case of a Silicon Valley bank, you are investing in all of these uh, bonds in a low interest rate uh, environment. Was it not uh, built into someone's model somewhere, somehow, some way that at some point, interest rates might you know go up within the within the time frame before maturity of some of these bonds because i think maybe i'm suffering from hindsight being 2020 but it really does seem like uh, like a sensible thing to say you know the, the 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 low interest rates wouldn't persist forever and ever amen yeah and exactly right and i think what makes it very difficult for the banks is that as long as you've got more clients coming in um, you you have consistent liquidity in in your in your bank, but as soon as you stick you start to get more demands of people calling up their deposits, and at the same time there's pressure on the asset side. So with the bonds, then you sit in a situation where you've got that negative equity on on the bond, and now you've got to to send the money back to the client, and then you start realizing the losses that we saw there. So it's incredibly difficult. I mean, funny enough, the, the irony is um, if you look at the Dodd-Frank Act, the, the stress test that was required through that act would have applied to Silicon Valley and Valley Bank specifically. Because uh, if you look at the size at which that re- regulation applies, they squarely fall into that size. So they would have had to meet those stress requirements, which is exactly the test that you are referring to now. Someone Is someone not looking at a model? That's essentially, loosely speaking, where that exercise would have taken place. Um, so, so, so there's a bit of irony there. But I think it does speak to the fact that um, one, they, we see more pressure on banks in terms of uh, people needing liquidity which is something we're likely to see see more of. The bigger banks in the U.S. tend to be quite fairly well capitalized for that because they still fall under the big regulations. So Trump's argument at the time was that let's not constrain all the banks. Um, we need to grow the economy and the, the smaller banks need to survive. The big banks are a systemic risk, so let's keep it applicable to them, but the others, let's see. The problem is that Silicon Valley Bank uh, grow by a, a, a factor of multiple of three or four, I think, over the time. So it became a big bank and, and then ultimately a big problem when it didn't survive. But internally, within the banks, you should be applying those risk management protocols. And typically what the banks do internally is they do hedge themselves against interest rate risk to combat that. Or they've got a range in which they operate and they stress test themselves. Um, and who knows what exactly happened at, at SVB in terms of the day-to-day practices, in terms of risk management. But it does seem far short of what was required. No, it certainly does. But, uh, you know, hopefully there's a lot of lessons that can be learned from uh, this situation and also just enforcement of some of these regulations to say, you know, if you're going to have a Dodd-Frank Act, at least, you know, make sure that those to whom it's applicable to are, uh, you know, putting it into practice, especially, you know, where a lot of people have shouted for deregulation through the 90s, etc. Situations like this actually show a situation where, you know, 
some of that um, regulation could have helped um, or at least helped to mitigate some of those impacts. Now, Adrian, at this point, uh, I, I think we can then switch to one of the big elephants in the room, and that is the word recession. It's a it's a word that we've tackled a couple of times, you and I, uh, on this particular platform, uh, but it doesn't seem to be going away. Um, so the question then becomes, how likely is it that the strong U.S. economy will wobble? And what should investors expect, um, you know, should the feared recession actually uh, come to materialize. Yes, I think for where we are now, um, we've mentioned the inverted yield curve a couple of times, and that same metric is a very good uh, leading indicator for whether you can see a, um, a a recession. So in theory, what it says is the bond market is telling you that interest rates are, are way too high and you're essentially putting a chokehold on the economy at the same time when the long end is suggesting that you shouldn't be expecting a lot of growth in in, in, in the future either and probably a high inflation. So so that's a lethal cocktail for where we stand. And currently what we see is the US yield curve is at its biggest inversion in, in more than 40 years. So we think it's incredibly likely that we'll see a, a recession later this year. I think the only question really remains that if there's a technicality around inflation data. So typically what we report is, is real growth. So if inflation does come in, a lot lower against expectation. It might actually help a little bit to 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 lift the, the the GDP number. We think it's going to be likely insufficient to accomplish that. Um, but the the scary thing about this time around is that the U.S. balance sheet has never been more indebted, and the fiscus is under enormous pressure. And at the same time, while we've got elevated inflation, yes, it's coming down, but it can't stay at 4 or 5% if it reaches those levels. We, the aim is to get it to 2% on average through the cycle. It feels like a very long way to go. So you can't really justify monetary uh, stimulus through cutting interest rates. So you've got fiscal and monetary policy uh, stresses at the same time that the recession seems very likely. So it does leave you wondering, um, how this recession will play itself out. I see um, if you go through the market commentary, um, many is expecting a soft landing just because they feel components of the economy is doing so well that it will support um, the economic headwinds um, that, that, that we will experience. And then you get the, the more bleaker outlook to say that all the things that we've been talking about in terms of debt and debt repayment also applies to highly le- leveraged businesses. So, the question is, um, was the bond market and uh, the banking um, industry a precursor for more? Could that spread into the, especially what's coming up is commercial property uh, space? And if that's the case, how severe could the damage then potentially be? Uh, now, with everything that we've uh, that we've spoken about, you know, for today, Adrian, and especially given you know where we are right now um, around uh, you know the possibility of uh, the U.S. economy wobbling right now, you know whether or not um, you know we 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 do find ourselves there. You you know highlighting the fact that 
you know, we likely will find ourselves in a recession at the end of the year. Um, one of the things that's spoken about quite commonly is the fact that you can never put a good crisis to waste, um, especially in the world uh, in the world of investments. And we've spent, you know, the majority of today's chat uh, talking about, uh, you know, the risks involved in this uh, high interest rate uh, environment, some of the vulnerabilities, uh, the likes of um, SVB and the dangers they have faced becoming victims in this environment. But where they are losers, they are always winners. How can someone actually go about becoming a winner? Are there any hidden opportunities for investors amid, um, you know, a lot of these challenges that are uh, that are facing them and the market? Uh, I think it's important to recognize that over the short term, markets typically trend around the prevailing sentiment, where longer term, you know, you'll survive a, a recession and move on. You know, if you think about a long-term investment horizon, you're going to experience multiple recessions over time, and and you can't you can't abandon your strategy uh, every time there's recession fears. But in that also lies the opportunity, as you say, because if we are going through a recession, some of the things that we are likely to see, um, all, all the obvious things around, obviously, negative growth and slowing inflation, high employment fresh on wages. But more importantly, maybe from a market's perspective is we're likely to see very poor business sentiment and low investment, and then also poor consumer sentiment and, and slower spending. For as long as what that recession lasts, um, we'll see things like bankruptcies and, that, and those kind of things, which obviously erodes sentiment in, in a very big way. But therein lies the, the opportunity because you can use them that as a, as a very handy entry point to get into things that were potentially um, not attractively priced before. I mean, we've got a long list of US stocks that we would love to own, but are just simply too expensive at the moment. So our thinking is, let's see how this um, plays out over the coming months. Um, and and we're on standby to look for opportunities where, where we can, we can, um, invest into two things that, that we like and, and, and make profits. Um, and I think it's really important then to, to think like, like that in terms of being opportunity seeking at a time of controversy, because that's really when you've got the better opportunity. It's very difficult to, to make money out of an environment that's um, riding on a lot of optimism. Valuations are very high. Typically, you stack the odds against yourself longer term. So definitely, I think you're 100% spot on. There is definitely an opportunity um, during a recession period. And the question is just how, how you take advantage of that. No, most certainly, and especially when you when you think about, um, like I said earlier on, uh, where they're losers, uh, you know, they are winners, and uh, the fact that in good times you tend to have markets rising higher and higher, and I'm sure that's led to you know the situation you guys find yourselves in, where you have a long list of uh, you know stocks that you'd want to get involved in, but they're simply just priced way too high, you know, for you to justify getting into such investments. As we end off adrian this is a it's a follow-up but i think it would help to tie everything up together um i think it's possibly an extension of um you know the point we raised earlier on about uh you know the possibility of a recession and the question is just more around um whether or not the high interest rate environment we find ourselves in is a is a short-term you know um consideration 
uh, that investors should be thinking about or whether you see this uh, being more um, of something that continues into the medium into the medium term because um, when they, when you think about your investment horizons a lot of people you know were thinking that interest rates were about to you know the hiking cycle was about to come to an end and that we we are about to see see it in the rearview mirror but uh, we find ourselves in in uh, almost mid 2023 and this hiking cycle seems to still be um, you know going up so now the question then becomes is it really still short term the way we characterized interest rates uh, rising last year or is this more of something that we should be looking onto into the midterm so i think my view on this is that uh, i think interest rates are essentially at their peaks now i think we might see one or two smaller moves both locally and and in the us um, and then after that I, I i would say that's done um, we never know how inflation numbers can surprise us, um, especially on, on the supply side of the inflation equation. So it's not always just about how, how consumers are, are spending money and driving up prices. Sometimes it's a, it's a question of constraints. So in South Africa, energy prices, um, are, are a, a good indication of that. But at the same time, I don't see interest rates really coming down very, very quickly either. Um, like I mentioned, I think in, in the U.S. case, they, the, the inflation number is not going to drop off to the extent that they're going to need it to. So they won't be in a situation where they can drastically cut back interest rates again, although they're probably going to be in a situation where they would love to be able to do that if there's economic pressure. And in South Africa's case, essentially it feels like we've gone through quite a few moves up, but essentially we've just normalized our rates with the longer-term averages. So I think we, we're likely at a more more sustainable rate, depending on where the inflation numbers go. But broadly speaking, I think we're in a more normal position. So no, so mixed news, I guess. Um, not much more in terms of going up, but unfortunately, nothing expected in terms of things going down quick either. All right. So that's been it. A very fascinating conversation, very informative, and also just uh, picking Adrian's uh, mind around uh, some of the vulnerabilities that are exposed by a higher interest rate um, environment. Talking quite a bit about, um, you know, a huge example that we saw, uh, that is the collapse of a Silicon Valley bank, that is SVB. And, uh, you know, what lessons can be learned from uh, something like that? One of the things that uh, Adrian was highlighting is the fact that, um, you know, some of these uh, market conditions, you know, tend to, you know, expose these vulnerabilities. And we tend to see that manifesting itself um, in the banking sector. And once again, find ourselves in uh, such a situation. And once again, you know, peeling another page from history, the South African banking uh, sector seems at least for now, well insulated and seems to have, uh, you know, um, not be, you know, too much at risk for any of the contagion that uh, or fallout that uh, may have come uh, from something like this. So for now, uh, the the local banking sector seeming you know quite resilient. And also just talking about uh, you know where we find ourselves in terms of uh, the U.S. economy and uh, you know whether we are likely going to be in a recession. And Adrian says you know we we will likely be there by the end of the year. Now in terms of interest rates themselves, you know whether or not this is uh, something that's here for us in the long term. Um, we're likely 
we see ourselves at uh, the likely at the top um, of the hiking cycle. Maybe we might see one or two more hikes, but for now we say that uh, you know it's unlikely that we're going to see uh, too much of a rise. But that doesn't mean that uh, interest rates will you know start uh, falling off of a cliff. It's likely that uh, you know they will come down, but at a very very slow rate. So that's been it. Uh, we were talking to Adrian Pask, who is the chief investment officer over at PSG Wealth. Adrian, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. I appreciate it. It was fun. So that brings us to the end of uh, this uh, podcast about how higher interest rates have exposed vulnerabilities in uh, markets sponsored by PSG Wealth. I've been your host, Muriwa Gavaza, a writer with the Business Day and Financial Mail. Remember that you can subscribe for free episodes on iono.fm, Spotify, player.fm, Pocket Cost, or wherever you choose to get your podcasts. <music>